Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I am your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I have with me Annette Papa, who is a former personal trainer, flight attendant, and coach focused on using movement, nervous system reset techniques, and mindset work to teach people how to dance with their stress response. She's also a very dear friend of mine, and I'm thrilled to introduce her. So welcome, Annette. Thanks, Jesse. I'm happy to see you this morning. I know. I'm so happy we got to do this. Um, So I am going to have you just tell me a little bit about your story. What we're going to talk about here today will involve some of your work, you know, and I'm going to like ask what the dancing with the stress response uh, is all about later in the episode. But I just want to start by having you tell a little bit about your personal story and how you kind of came into the work you do and where you came out of to get there. Okay, amazing. So I guess let's start where we are now and and then I'll go backwards. Perfect. So I've been a flight attendant for the last eight years and have had some really challenging flights. I've watched coworkers after really um, somewhat traumatic flights not be able to return onto the plane and return to their job. And um, that started to get me really curious about the connection uh, from our brain to our body and what happened to them. What did I do? What did I do a little different so that I could return sort of unharmed? Um, And thanks to the pandemic, I was laid off, not thanks to the pandemic, but I was laid off and I got this chunk of time to start taking a lot of courses on all that stuff, movement and trauma, mm-hmm. breathing and trauma, all the all the the things and the nervous system, how it works, the vagus nerve, and um, I started to put the pieces together. And then when I went back to work, I started. Um, well, not even when I went back to work, but during the pandemic, I started using these just different tools and techniques to help myself dance in and out of stress and see that this does make a difference. These small, tiny things over a long period of time have the potential for uh, a shift. I call it like moving the needle. Life-changing sounds so big. (laughs) Sure. Let's just like shift. What if we can shift the needle a little bit? Mm -hmm. That's that's where I am right now in the work that I do now. So let me just ask then to clarify, you're talking about basically learning uh, skills, like working with the body, using all of these skills that you've learned and the skills that you teach to clients so that what, when something bad happens, you don't get quite as dysregulated or overwhelmed, or maybe you bounce back sooner or both. <laughs> yes. Yes to everything. Okay. What it has looked like in my life is creating a little bit of a pre, during, and post, let's say medical. That's that's normally the most stressful thing that will happen in my day. Mm. Um, an evacuation or a crash obviously would be right. Okay. The worst. But yeah. I I need to be able to anticipate. Mm-hmm. 
a medical happening on board. Okay. So there are things that I do. If you followed me on Instagram, you'll see me in my car, hugging myself, doing a little bit of just gentle touch. I have not yet had a stressful day. Like I don't yet need those tools, but one of the things that I learned is, um, this is from Dan Segal's work and he talks about the window of tolerance. This is a place where we feel grounded and confident. We feel connected and like we can do life. And if we can do things to take care of ourselves while we're inside the window of tolerance, that actually widens our window of tolerance or window of capacity. So the amount of space that we can hold life, feel grounded. And I really wanted to put that to the test to be like, oh, could I have a medical and, you know, stay within my window of tolerance? Mm -hmm. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. That is the answer (laughs) to that. (laughs) I started to do this sort of pre take care of myself and then this during. So just being aware of the noticing the stress responses that come up in my own body. There's been lots of different ones for me. The most, I think the scariest or like the most interesting one was one time I had a medical where it was an 18 year old girl who had had a seizure and she was passed out cold. So she was gray. She just looked dead. I had never seen an unalive person yet. Oh yeah. And she looked very not alive and her just being so young. Anyway, my, she was fine and she walked off plane healthy and well, but my stress response to that was my vision after I, we, she was taken care of and stable, um, was my vision narrowed. So I had a like bottle, like bottle, whatever vision. Mm -hmm. And that was really interesting. And then there, there are stuff, there's stuff that I will do. I'll go into the lab um, and I'll like pat my body down. There's different tools that I use to try to come back into myself, a little bit of shaking, um, hugging my coworkers, my coworkers, Mm. I ask to be taken care of. I surrender my duties. So I like that specific day I was lead, which was the worst. <laughs> You're like, and that, and then, and then I have to be in charge of things. Like, oh man, are you kidding me? Um, so sort of just letting folks like letting, letting care be bestowed upon me. Yeah. Then once the guests are off is it's usually like going up, going up into the flight deck, crying, venting, um, and just getting it out, which, um, we teach in our, our stress resiliency program backbone is called closing the, the stress cycle. And that's, um, the book burnout with Emily Nagoski. Okay. So essentially I just heard you describe in one story, like 65 different tools during the process that you moved in and out of as appropriate to the scenario, including before there was a scenario Mm -hmm. during and after. So that basically something that I I really appreciate (laughs) when you talk about this stuff is that you never preach that we're like getting rid of stress for good, you know, like that, that is absolute just bro marketing nonsense and Mm -hmm. you'll have none of it because you're like saying things are going to get stressful and scary. Sometimes you happen to work in a very particularly intense job as a flight attendant, but also most people are going to run into things that really dysregulate them. So instead of trying to think of it as like, 
how to avoid that or how to be, have your window of tolerance. So huge that nothing ever rocks you. Yeah. Like it's really just be realistic. You live in a human body, learn how to deal with it. Yes. And I love that. Thanks. And, and what, so what's the end result then over time you teach people these skills and what changes, what's the needle, the little needle. So, there's a few things it's, you may feel that your window of tolerance gets bigger. Like you have a capacity, you have capacity for a shit to hit the fan and for you to be like, huh, look at that. The shit's hitting the fan and you're not going along for the ride. That does not always happen. And I still totally get dysregulated, but I do feel yeah. like I have a bigger window of tolerance depending on, this is another thing from the workshop, my checklist, like, have I had enough sleep? Have I, mm-hmm. you know, um, have I, I was going to say like, have I had some good sex, but <laughs> <laughs> we, that was not in the checklist. Ashley, we need to add that. That's my, my, my <laughs> we need to, have you been loved or have you loved yourself? Um, <laughs> so, so it's more than just like, like physiologic. Well, I guess that's all physiological, but it's more than just like nervous system tools. It's like a whole mindset and awareness and relationship to the body. Big picture too, to, mm-hmm. to cultivate better resilience in the face of stress. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And something that you've taught me is the noticing. Yeah. The noticing. <laughs> uh, noticing. Yeah. You know, nobody likes that step of the work. <laughs> they're like, but what should I do? I'm like, what you do right now is you pay attention and you just name it. And they're like, but what do I do after? I'm like, that's the end of your assignment. <laughs> I'm really sorry. That's I it. I didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, I love all this. And, and I wanted to swing back and talk about that program that you are doing um, later, but I also wanted to get a little bit of your story for where you came from, not Mm. just to this work, but also like into the adult human who is sitting before me right now. Um, and particularly in terms of your relationship to purity culture and how that impacted you, your life, your body image, everything. Yeah. So I grew up in the church first in the Catholic church And then when I was a teenager, I was like, I want to clap and dance. So I went to the Pentecostal church. You know, I didn't know that was your choice until this moment. That's so funny. It's so you. It was me. I was like, like, I want to clap and dance. But I want to move my body. Oh, my God. So I convinced, I basically eventually convinced my whole family and and I would and I would be the the person driving around the small town picking up anybody else any other my girlfriends or anybody who wanted to go to church and bringing them to church. Got it. This is how powerful your desire to move your body was. You like transformed an entire town <laughs> across religion. Just a pew. Just a pew. <laughs> just a pew. Just a pew. Just a pew. Um. Yeah. Yes. And so these were my teenage formative years. Uh, Pentecostal church, we're talking. um, And also I had a very well-meaning mother who really the only option for me was abstinence. And 
in my sexual um, education. And meaning that's all that was provided to you as an option, like that was talked about. Yeah. Yes. And from being the firstborn, a Virgo kind of perfectionist, you know, very people pleasery. Mm-hmm. I totally gave in to it. I I ended up going to Bible college. I have a bachelor of religious education, which means I could be a pastor. That's like basically all the education. I'm not I sure have- I knew this either. I'm learning so much. Something. Yeah. So that's what brought me to Toronto. Mm. I went to a university called Tyndale and I got, I actually got a great education and I happily learned how to exegete, which is to read the Bible within its hermeneutical understanding. So you are not just pulling scriptures out and waving them and using them. You are saying, who was this scripture written for? What was the time and place that it was written? Yeah. Um, who was doing the writing of it? And what language was it coming from? Yeah. And that's been very helpful later on in my unpacking and my, my protection of the LGBTQ community. Mm. When I talk mm-hmm. to folks from the LGBTQ community who've been, you know, shunned out or whatever. Yeah. Well, you, um, Tell me what Pentecostal is. I'm assuming it's still Christian, but I know nothing about what that means. Just sure. briefly what the difference is. I okay. Guess. So there's many different sects of Christianity. Okay. There's like a few big ones. There's like Orthodox, which is different from the Catholics, which which is different from the Protestants. Let's just go with those three. Okay. okay? And the Protestants and the Catholics celebrate things slightly different catholics have a pope uh you can't be you can be a nun you can't be like a priest okay as a female as a female identifying person yeah in the church the protestants i'm not going to go all into the history mainly because i forget it um which is totally fine um but the protestants you can as a woman you can become a pastor. You can like mm. rise up. I think that's probably the most important thing for me or that I would care about. Yeah. Um, and you don't have a Pope who's like the top sort of uh-huh. guiding and Protestants under the Protestant banner, you've got Baptists, you've got Pentecostals and Pentecostals. Again, there's going to be a whole bunch of different range, but basically they are, it's like the church where you'd go and they'd be like clapping and singing. And you think like the tambourines and you think about people speaking in tongues because uh-huh. on I think the fire came down, people started speaking in all different, I'm going to get that so wrong. Cause it's been so long and I've, I've just pulled myself out and never looked back. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, you speak in tongues and there's like more prophecy and there's a little bit more, I would oh. say like, what would be like more woo? Yeah. More mystical. Well, yeah. Yes. Okay. Sounds very culty. <clears throat> Is it a bit culty? You don't have to answer that if that's an my best friend. I have been deconstructing our faith 
Mm. The last, well, we've been best friends for 10 years. We've probably been deconstructing and pulling ourselves out for the last seven. And it resonates with us to say that we are like, we are reprogramming our minds from a cult. Ooh, really? I mean, it makes so much sense. And also I feel like we just rarely hear that applied to Christianity, right? Like that is absolutely what it is though. The work that her and I have had to do together with therapists and is like insane. It's yeah, it's what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So tell me about what you learned in that space about, God, I have so many questions here, but like gender, sexuality, relationships, like how how you were supposed to live life and be. Mm -hmm. All the binaries, um, you know, you date, but you don't have sex. You're not supposed to do foreplay either, um, which I did a little bit of. <laughs> That's so and funny. I, Do they explicitly say that? Like no foreplay? Is that in the Bible? No, no, no. <laughs> you like the, okay. Um, and I always liked kind of boys and men growing up. Mm -hmm. But I'll just, I'll speak kind of looking back at it now um, as I identify as queer, bisexual, mm -hmm. pansexual. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of range of mm -hmm. human, like, like the rainbow is, yeah. you know, <laughs> what I like. Yeah. And um, that just was never, I was, I was just never I never let myself I was never yeah, I was like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's only well, I didn't grow up in that culture and I still had blinders on like didn't have the concepts didn't have the language didn't have the role models I mean that I feel like for the younger generations is totally changing but uh I think that's just very common for our generation mm -hmm. yes yes yeah and and the story was you you find someone, you get married, then you have sex, and then you have children. And along with the thread of that sort of Christian narrative was me having a pretty face, mm -hmm. tall, slightly socially acceptable and attractive body, and always being told I was pretty or I had a good body or, hmm, you know, so I had these two sort of parallels running. Yeah. And by the time, gosh, how long have we known each other? 10 years, definitely yeah. 10 years. Okay. I was a personal trainer because that's how I found you. Mm -hmm. 
by the time I found you and started learning about body neutrality, I mean, that was, I had gone through an eating disorder, body dysmorphia, a little bit of orthorexia. And it was just this like perfect storm of these two. So so, something I know you've talked about a lot is that in the, in this church, there was a really big focus on how women look and being conventionally pretty, that that was like a big, not so subtle message about what was expected or, or celebrated. So I don't think it was this. So if we're back in my high school church, Mm-hmm. the and Pentecostal church. I don't necessarily think that it was that. I think it's this thread that runs through sort of all the churches minus the last one that I was at, which was called the meeting house. Okay. I see what you're saying. So it's more it, of just, yeah. And this being thin. So when I was in my last year of high school, my mom and I and a couple other women did this. And if you Google it, so much good tea. It's <laughs> called The Way Down. Oh my God, I've seen the document. I was about to ask you about that. You're kidding me. Fucking did that. It fucked me the fuck up. How did I, I not know this about it. you? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. For anybody who does not know what this is, go watch the documentaries. There's a bunch of them now. The Way Down, it's W-E-I-G-H, and it's like a religious cult about weight loss. Yeah. And it's a Christian weight loss program. And it, it, I was 18 at the time. I was so skinny. Oh my God. And I was writing Bible verses on me and using the Bible verses to only eat when I was hungry. Oh, and Yep. And then I went to Germany and it shit got fucked up. This is so upsetting. I, oh God, my skin is like crawling right now to know that you were there in that space. I mean, just having seen the the documentaries and feeling so like flabbergasted that this kind of thing exists and be like, you, sweet you was in that space. Yeah. Good Lord. Okay. So your relationship with your body was informed by much more than just gender roles as assigned by the church, the expectation to be sort of socially acceptable, thin, pretty. I mean, that's really specific. What did you actually learn? Did you learn that like thinness is godliness or like, what? yeah, that it made you more pure? It's literally like, here's how to have an eating disorder, 101. It is, it is. So that was the summer and I was also in a wedding. So there was, there was this like, this catalyst mm-hmm. of I'm doing this program. I'm right. in my friend's wedding. I'm, the dresses are very, they're like a two piece And the woman at the dress fitting over the summer goes, you'll lose a few more pounds when I was getting fitted for the dress. And you tell an 18 year old, she's going to lose a few more pounds. That 18 year old's going to be like, yes, I fucking will. You just watch me. And I see pictures of that wedding and I'm like, 
praying mantis. I remember like just collarbone, like I'm already like, just naturally tall yeah, and yeah. lanky. Um, I remember not eating at the wedding. I remember like sharing a little portion and being like, oh, the dress is getting tight. The dress is getting tight. Fuck, 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 fuck. Um, and then I leave my family, who is my support, you know. Right. Yeah. And then I go off to Germany for a year to be a nanny, where the culture is much different. I am no longer like the special oldest child. Right. I am like the help. <laughs> And the only thing that is going to soothe <laughs> is the delicious is the food. Yeah. And I started to do this binge fast where I would, I would fast because I wanted to be good for the Lord and um, yeah, fast and binge, fast and binge. Fast. Can I ask if it was ever explained to you why the Lord wanted you to be hungry and skinny? No, no one stopped me no one was able to say until I came home for Christmas and I think my mom caught on because she's now mm -hmm. seeing something. Mm -hmm. then the yeah. body dysmorphia kicks in where I'm like but mom I gained so much weight while I was in Germany and she's like what look yeah. at you I'm like look at me I'm huge oh, and I'm man, sorry yeah everybody for all of this language, I no longer speak yeah, this yeah, yeah. My body or I do not use this language around my body. Um, but so she, she started to catch on. I also had a dear friend who was a professional dancer from New York in mm -hmm. Germany who had had an eating disorder, who said, you need help. And I was like, no, but I eat, mm -hmm. I don't mm -hmm. throw it up. And I didn't have the language of binge eating. And I didn't know that that was yeah. So I was like, I'm fine. It's also like really difficult when you don't have the context for like what percentage of your time and attention is supposed to be spent on this versus something else. Like, especially when you're young, you're like, yeah, probably everybody thinks about it this much. I don't know. Yeah. Um, do you have a definition for purity culture, by the way, before I dive again too into it, I'd love if you had a definition well, to share. I don't actually have one concretely, but I can try to make one up on the spot. Well, go for it. Cause I, I grabbed one from, you know, Google or whatever, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Okay. Purity culture is the idea that if you keep yourself, if you withstand, abstain from sex before marriage, then you are deemed pure, holy, good for the Lord and for your husband and or wife. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. Does it only apply to women? <sighs> it's it's like maybe. a heavy handed one. Yeah, yeah. Um, in my family, though, my parents were really strict with, with all of the siblings. Okay. Boys and girls. So abstinence from sex is the big thing. And now that I've just asked you the other question about food, I'm wondering, was it ever explained to you why God wanted you like <laughs> hungry and skinny or 
horny and uh, not enjoying your body? Like, was that ever explained? Like what the purpose of this purity was? That's a, that's a fantastic question. So I think the question that you just asked needs to be brought up and in, inserted back into the church mm. as like a what the fuck. Mm-hmm. This is where I can surmise that the ideas come from and where you totally lose connection from the what your body is trying to tell you. And this is how, why my work is like my work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because there are scriptures after scriptures in the Bible that say that the flesh is sinful, the flesh is weak, the flesh is evil. You know, we must we must cut off the flesh. We must, must cut off our fleshly desires. So the more we've learned yeah. about ourselves as you <laughs> I feel like people can hear me rolling my eyes if they're just listening to this podcast. And how important desire and pleasure is. Yeah. The more you see, oh, okay, like you're you're completely like food. Nope. Yeah. Sex. Nope. Yeah, they are both forms of pleasure, both forms of comfort. Certainly both connect you to your body if you're doing them in ways that are aligned with, you know, your drives and everything. It does make a lot of sense that they would overlap. And I was curious about that when I was just putting together questions for you. But now I think it's interesting because if the flesh is so evil, then it literally is just shame. There's no, there's no justification even for that shame. It's just, it's just shame as fact is bad. Mm -hmm. Don't listen to it. (laughs) Can't be trusted. Like that's it. There's Mm -hmm. no, Okay. So then what, what, what is the goal? So everybody disconnects from their bodies. They don't enjoy pleasure. They don't eat or have sex or enjoy anything. (laughs) Well, you have a now what once you're married, of course. Oh yes. I've, I've worked with clients for whom that was not true. That is a whole other thing, huh? So wait, let's actually dive into that. If you're willing, um, how long did you wait? Okay. I was 27. Mm-hmm. When I had my first P in the V sex. Okay. What was it? What's, and I, again, I'm going to fast forward into my now reality and why I oh. love identifying as queer mm-hmm. because I learned from, I, she's like my fairy queer mother <laughs> is that obviously for femme on femme or, you know, yeah. need penetration to have sex. Yep. Folks, I was 38 years old before I got to have the revelation that P in the V, penis in the vagina, sex is not like because because yeah. So yeah. So I I kind of got to reclaim a little bit of my 
uh-huh. um, teenage slash young adulthood where I had been doing a little bit of foreplay, yeah, you know, a little bit of oral, all that stuff to which I always felt bad about after what was, I was never like, oh, right, right. celebrate that shit. That was good. Yeah. It was like, now I have to go to church. Like I'm sinful. I'm not worthy. Blah, 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 blah. Oi. That's dark, man. I was 27 and it was with my husband. That's right. And how was it the very first time? You know what? It was good. Okay, good. Because I, I have I have worked with a handful of clients for whom like the big issue was they waited until marriage and things were not working smoothly and the amount of and, stress oh, and pleasure. Wait for marriage. <laughs> Spoiler. Oh, <okay>. I wonder <laughs> if that makes it better. But like the amount of stress around pleasure and then how that gets performance anxiety and all of these things. Yeah. Well, I'm very happy it was good for you. Yeah. Um, okay. So you end up disconnected from your body as is uh, prescribed by God who hates pleasure and loves it's the church. It's the church. If there is a God, I think they love pleasure. Oh, dude, they so do. Oh my! So God. they're not a he. <laughs> it's the church. It's the church. It's they're a they, baby. Um, okay. So yeah, but my point is just that, okay. So you're disconnected from your body because you are committed to yes. the church and all of the teachings. And when does that start to like fracture for you? When do you start questioning or getting embodied or are those two different times? So because I'm so I'm working at college in, in university and I start working at a gym. I've always danced my whole life, just whether I was taking lessons when I was little and then I've had entrepreneurial streaks. So I, yeah. I, I started a small business in my hometown, King Carden, a, a dance school. And then I came to Toronto and I started working at a gym as just the person who sells memberships. And then the dance, the like you know, the fitness dance person yeah, yeah. showing up. And I was like, I called my manager one day. I was like, can I just teach these classes? So I started <laughs> teaching sort of athletic fitness dance. And, and that turned into getting certified as a personal trainer, starting to work in the health and fitness industry. And that started the, the, the communication, the talk with the body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and it has like, slope peaks and valleys, right. Of healthiness and sort of unhealthiness. Um, and I think honestly, I like, I am like, I don't want to like ring your bell, but I don't, I don't remember another person like bumping into another person other than you where the talk of body neutrality came up mm. and I started to like align with it. I was also almost always going to therapy for sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. eating disorders and stuff like that. I think when we first, you first came to a workshop or something, it was all about connecting to the body as a way, as a means of like healing body image. And I remember you resonating with that so hard, but I, I don't know how much before that you had been like in that camp, you know? Mm-hmm. Because mm -hmm. that was like that wasn't that was re that was more recent yeah yeah it's uh, 
I think um, a sort of a tragic incident happened with a family member of mine, which jolted my faith mm. and in God and in sort of how purity culture had failed yeah, us yeah, yeah. family. Totally. And um, also my family member and how I saw like how disconnected my family member was from their body. There was that too. So there's, <sighs> it's hard to say like when exactly that crux yeah. was. I was like, oh yeah, okay. But I know for sure as well, another, like another kind of hard point was the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I had a mother, like she was a client of mine. She'd been a client for as long as I was a personal trainer, maybe no, she was like 10, seven years, seven to 10 years. Uh, she died of cancer and she had been, we had been working with each other. Uh, she was also a coach. She was my business coach. There was a lot of, yeah, you know, yeah. and um, the grief, cause it was, it was like fresh pandemic. It was April. Yeah. Just been laid off from my job as a flight attendant. Margaret dies two weeks later and I, we can't have a funeral. I can't go see her friends. I can't hold her daughter. And the grief that racked my body that soon turned into anger, I needed some, to do something with it. And so I started this hour of crying, moving, stretching, whatever the yeah. fuck, reading emails from her, rolling out the bottoms of my feet and then bursting yeah. into tears. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that definitely was like, oh. Yeah, really embodied grieving. Wow, yes. And then the anger also sort of subsided and I was mm. able to talk to my toddler, a wife to my right, husband. Right. And then I started taking a bunch of courses from Jane Clapp, who you had yeah, gotten yeah. me, which is like movement for trauma yeah. um, and a bunch of nervous system stuff. And I started just diving into her work. Right. And then everything started making sense. So, you know, what's so interesting to me is that I obviously don't have this particular thing to break free from, but I had a lot of trauma stored in my body that I did not know about. And the two waves of healing around it came through movement for me as well. So the first one was when I did a dance program at like 18, 19 for a year, I took a year off between high school and college because I wanted to do musical theater. So it was really the first time I'd ever gotten any proper dance training. And it was like a lot, like hours and hours a day. And uh, I genuinely believe that year saved me from like a path that I could have gone that was absolutely self-destructive because the way that it connected me to my body, like I feel emotional even just like remembering this, like it was so important. And then I forgot about it for a little while. You know, I like go to New York City and I'm like trying to live my life and whatever. And then the second wave of healing and embodiment that I was gifted was becoming a personal trainer, despite having absolutely no (laughs) uh, experience or, you know, connection to it. So these were two things that, that I did not seek out movement on purpose exactly, but both of them, I think, taught me that I could like just live and be okay. And, and all that embodiment stuff. I remember even just a bodybuilding program. Like I loved 
you know, 12 to 15 reps of tricep press downs or whatever, because it got me into feeling my body in a way that I, I had been so numb. I had been so disconnected and you just can't avoid it. You know, you're like, it burns here. And Mm -hmm. that I know that now. And Mm -hmm. those were things that like really started my healing journey in a way that was not intentional. I was not seeking out. I wasn't like, I think I have trauma and I need to deal with it. But like, holy crap, does getting back into your body through something like that push you toward also, what am I feeling? Also, who am I? Also, what is going on inside me, you know? Mm-hmm. So you you started with movement. Mm-hmm. And it pushed you into eventually, what is this whole church living in here for? <laughs> mm-hmm. In this body, where does it belong? What do I want to do with it? Mm-hmm. Yep. That is so interesting. Self-pleasure played a big role as well because Ooh, you have yes. the stigma around masturbation. And um, my husband, Rich, was actually really helpful around that. Like got me my first vibrator, like no mm. shame around that. It's really sweet. And, and I just through the internet got more educated as the shame started to melt away, this was also that what that became a tool of mine. Yeah, frustrated. Yeah. Make love to myself. I'm happy. Oh, that's so Make beautiful. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that for sure was like a huge. Yeah, and you and I both, I would say, like a form of both pleasure and movement was dancing. And I know that's something that. I don't do nearly as much anymore. And I, I probably should like dial it back up again, because it is one of those tools that both connects me to my body in wherever my body is in that moment and to myself, wherever I am and brings me pleasure, brings me joy, lightens my mood, like does all these things that is also really healing and helpful. And yeah, that was, uh, I always love your dance videos. Uh, They're so fun. Um, but yeah, that absolutely is one of those things too, where it's like, even outside of, of this sort of church conditioning, it was like, who am I to just do stuff that I enjoy? Like, I think I still learned something. It wasn't like that. It's sinful to like, just do stuff. It was like that. It's unproductive and pointless and silly. And like, you know, I still had conditioning to break through around that. So when I started doing it more often, it felt really rebellious and like, it was like resistance in some way. Like, I'm just going to do it because I like it and it's fun. And And I would say masturbation and pleasure, like learning how to orgasm, like it took me years to go through all these different layers of things. Um, Mm -hmm. And all of it felt like resistance. Mm -hmm. You know what I find actually a little liberating is that you didn't grow up in the church. Mm -hmm. You still went through these waves and I did go to church and I went through these waves. And so it just helps hearing you to lessen my despise for the church. And that's really helpful. Yeah. Because it's really like the air we breathe, purity culture. I had a sex positive upbringing. Like we were the weird ones where my parents talked to us. I knew all the anatomical terms. I explained to my girlfriends what periods were when we were like 10 and 11. Yeah. Like I was the one with the sex positive upbringing and I didn't escape 
a ton of these messages because it just gets like soaked in. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, learned to self-objectify and I had sexual trauma and like all of these things taught me a lot of the same stuff in the end, even though it wasn't through a lens of like what God says or what's sinful, it was still like sponged up in me and Mm -hmm. had to be wrung out (laughs) actively (laughs) and through a lot of hard work and liberation. Oh man. Okay. So bring this back to then the healing work that you did to leave, leave the church. Is that a fair way of putting it? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, I birthed my, <laughs> my salvation. <laughs> I, when I, was, when I was, when I had Leo five uh-huh. years ago, it was kind of this, it was, wow, church is like right in the middle of nap time. <laughs> really important for him and for me. Uh-huh. So maybe we'll just start watching it from home, which we did a couple of times. Oh my God. Wait, you can watch your church from home? Yeah. Cause it's, it's, it's streamed. There's one main church and then there is. Oh, I understand. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A bunch of other ones. You, you go, the meeting house was called the church for people who aren't into church. And I was coming out of, in Toronto, a big mega church. Mm-hmm. I was like doing this. It was very Pentecostal. I was doing like liturgical dance. I was, okay. I was kind of like on the ministry team and I was getting burnt out. Okay. And I left that church to go to the meeting house. And, um, I really liked the, the teaching of Roxy Cavey mm-hmm. as the pastor at the time and became friends with, with him and, um, long story short, Yes. I stopped going because we had Leo and when Leo came out as a boy, um, I have a ton of gay flight attendant friends and the hurt and the pain that I've heard from them over the years. Um, and the meeting houses, they say they're a third way. So you can come and be in the LGBTQ community but we actually won't marry you. And it wasn't until oh. I had Leo and I was like, I don't know what his uh-huh. sexual orientation is going to be, his gender preference, uh-huh. all that. Where I was like, I, I can't bring him. I don't want to, I don't want to bring him. Yeah. I don't bring him here because they wouldn't marry him if he was gay. I, oh man. So that kind of, that kind of like mama bear advocacy that really. I was like, if I have one of the, my, my beautiful flight attendant friends in my belly, right. I'm like, we're yeah, not yeah, 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 yeah. doing. That. Wow. So uh, how much would you say that like the tools that allowed you to get out, that was before you were like quite as deep into the work that you do. Did you do anything like intuitively similar? Were you doing nervous system techniques were you like how how did you process all of that I mean I just imagine it would be really complicated to kind of exit and and have to challenge everything and kind of deal with like so many different things so once I wasn't hearing the same message over and over again 
And I started to listen and be reprogrammed or like I was deprogramming. Yeah. 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 Then, then it's like the rage of everything. Mm. The meeting house was already a little bit more liberal. So there was a little bit of unpacking that was, I, that was happening during, but it was really like the stopping where then I'm not hearing the constant messages and I could start to pick apart things Mm. for my own self. And yeah. Okay. So this is sounding so very much like the question of how to leave diet culture. And it's like, do you work from the outside in or do you work from the inside out? Like, do you, you know, cleanse your entire Instagram feed and like stop hanging out with people who do body talk and like go from the outside in? Or do you start connecting with yourself, which will eventually probably cause you to do those things anyway, because, you know, you'll you'll get there either way. And I was going to ask you, which is first in leaving the church? And it's probably kind of the same, right? Like they just fuel each other and kind of got to go wherever you got to go. Yeah, yeah. Because the more you tune in, the more you're going to be like, these messages don't work and they're harming people. And the more you get away from it, the easier it'll be to tune in. Mm-hmm. And the more you're allowed to trust yeah, all of this and, and taking all of these amazing courses on the body, learning about the vagus nerve, yeah. 80% afferent nerve. So afferent run body to brain folks, like 80% of your afferent nerves inside your vagus nerve are taking messages from your internal organs and your body and sending them to your brain. Only 20% are running from your brain to your body. Like there's so much information that comes this way. Yeah. So, okay. I love how excited you get about that fact. Anybody who didn't follow that, basically the body is talking to the brain a whole lot more than the brain is talking to the body, which people would not normally guess. So super cool. You developed a passion somewhere in this journey, you developed an absolute passion for teaching people to trust their bodies. It makes so much sense having heard you describe like really what that disconnect in purity culture is about. It's like your body is literally bad and you shouldn't trust it. So yeah, I guess, why is it, why is it so important to you to teach people not only to listen but to trust in the signals that their bodies are sending them. When we can get inside of what's going on here, I feel like we have a stronger compass. Mm -hmm. Which way do I need to go in life? And we can get inside our values. Our body just becomes this amazing decision maker. Like I don't really, I will make like a pros and cons list. Like I don't stay up late at night being like, Oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I'm like, does this decision feel like a calm lake in my body? Yes. Does this decision feel like my chest is tight and it's causing me my breathing to change and to feel like I might be going into 
um, like a, a, a hyper aroused stress response was like, like fight or flight. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it, it yeah. becomes my decision maker. I, I follow it for my piece of yeah. peace. And Annette, what do you need? If you have been cut off from your decision maker, what do you need to rely on instead? What comes in, sweeps in and solves the problem of a missing decision maker? Yeah, a, a deity. It doesn't. Like structure, like structured. Religion. Religion, diet culture. It's all the same thing. It's, it's, it's people or structures who are invested in you not knowing that you have a compass and believing that compass is bad and untrustworthy Mm. and actively fighting against it, like ignoring hunger cues, ignoring desire and arousal cues, like it's stuffing all that stuff down because it benefits the structure itself Mm. or the industry for us not to know or trust our own compasses. And I personally, when I like refound my body and the wisdom in it and my own freaking compass, I was like very startled by how much information it had that I had just felt so lost for so long about everything. And so and anxious, like, what do I do? What do I do? The, the, the wild thing, and I'm speaking from myself, it's never wrong. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. When I asked you, what do you hope that people get out of this episode? You mentioned that they can trust this, like that this information is never wrong. It's always going to guide them in the right direction. That's a big statement. I would say like, in my experience, my body has never led me astray. Understood. I think, yeah, I, as a disclaimer, I would add there that you do have to do a lot of learning and unpacking about the difference between, for example, bigotry, biases, and stereotypes that live in there on a subconscious level and intuition and body wisdom, right? These things have to get learned about and differentiated. Um, But I would agree. I mean, I think that there is so much wisdom there and people have no idea. I sure didn't. And also I was actively told from diet culture and beauty culture though not religion, that it was definitely not okay for me to listen to this. Mm -hmm. Like every magazine article in 17 magazine or whatever was like, ignore everything you think, feel, want, and need, and try to be what he wants you to be because that's how you get a man, you know, like there just was so much of the same messaging coming from a completely different place that it's really no wonder, despite these very different influences, we sort of ended up at a lot of those same story beats. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So what would you tell a person now who is sort of recognizing them in all of this, but is not yet embodied, does not yet trust or cannot yet hear the messages or wisdom of their bodies? Where do you recommend that kind of person start? I think the starting is with a gentle acknowledgement that where they've been and where they are now is is just fine like a mm-hmm. healthy dose of forgiveness like yeah you only 
are able to get yourself as far as what you know. And you only knew what 17 magazine was telling mm-hmm. you. I only knew what the church was, was teaching me. And, and I, yeah, I would start there. And then if you're able to nurture just even the slightest gentle voice, gentle words yeah, um, to yourself to, to help you to take the next steps, it's like, that's right. That's yeah. I would start. I also think I love the acceptance. I think that's so important and forgiveness piece. And I would also add that I think when you're getting started, it can feel like something other people can do, but you can't. And you're like, just, it's just too hard. You're just not good at it enough, you know? Yes. And I just want people listening to hear like, this is too badass, intelligent, like powerful humans. And we both were able to come from that super disempowered place. Like we were not always in our power like this. We were not always connected to our, our wisdom and power. And we reclaimed it. And so can you like, it is hard, but it is possible. Mm -hmm. And it starts by tuning inward and connecting, like just noticing what you find there. All right, Annette, we had a little technical difficulty there. And so uh, I'm just going to dive in with a new question. And I wanted to hear because so much of what we've been talking about is the way that both of us in our parallel stories ended up with body shame, but from completely different angles, right? Like the body is bad because it's ugly or disappointing or, you know, fat or whatever. And the body is bad because it's just straight sinful. Mm-hmm. And the idea that the messages of lacking self-trust are about like your body will lead you astray. Like it will take you down a dark path. And you and I now know nothing could be further from the truth. So when you work with clients, how do you walk them through that process? Like how, how do you get them into the space of trusting? Well, first listening and also trusting. Mm-hmm. Or a even lot- just the idea that your body is not like, like trying to ruin your life. Yeah. I think it's in the recognitions. Okay. There's this moment where I I usually ask the clients like, okay, how does that make you feel in your body? Like what, Mm. what's going on in your body? And they're like, oh, and it's usually after we've worked through a thought that is either true or not true, Mm -hmm. right? Like We've either like, okay, are there facts to ba- to to back up this this thought? And then we're like, no, we have no facts. Oh my gosh, I've been thinking this thought that isn't true. Right. And like, you know, what does that feel like in your body? Like, oh, it feels like I feel really light or I feel really airy. And it's that, it's that m- moment where like, okay, so that feeling is the, that is the guide. Mm-hmm. And from there, that's, I, I feel like, or that's one thing that I could say is probably like the buy-in to that the, the body is, can navigate yes. you or to help the body can work with your thoughts to be like, 
well, that makes me feel so shitty when I think about those things yeah. or it really tightens my chest. And then, then you, you have to go back and do the work of like, is this thought true? Can you yeah. prove it true to a court of law? You're like, no, fuck, that was like another <laughs> limiting belief yeah. that I was thinking about myself. You're like, okay, well, what thought can I think that oh. makes me light up? Or really like one of my sort of hard and fast coaching questions when somebody's either stuck or is like, I'm going into something and I, I, I need to know how to exist in that. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you want to feel? Yeah. And then we establish how they want to feel. Oof. And then we create thoughts that line up with those feelings that get them embodied in that yeah, way. Yeah. Oh man. I love that. And all the time I've like talked with people about embodiment and stuff. I, I, I feel like I haven't heard the lens of basically walking them into a buy-in place where they are able to recognize for the first time that there's a connection between their thoughts and their feelings in their bodies and that they can influence them and that life can be better and also that it's not like forced positivity. It's coming from a really interesting, factual, unpacked place. Because oh. I think a lot of people will, assume, they would assume upon hearing this that maybe we're like, think positive and you'll feel but, great, which like nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> um, okay, so God, I love that. And to return to like the resiliency around stress, mm-hmm. what would you say you do in that space, like, okay, so somebody's, well, first, actually, I just want to ask, like, that buy-in leads them to build resiliency, right? Mm-hmm. So then how do you get from, okay, I have feelings in my body, I now know they exist, uh, you know, my coach says I should trust them, all the way over to, like, the more intensive here's how the body works. Here's how the nervous system works. Here are tools for regulating, for bringing yourself up, for bringing yourself down. Like that's a lot of education mm-hmm. that kind of already requires you to be in contact with these signals, right? Or can it all happen at once? Yes. <laughs> so I guess what I'm asking is like, if somebody wanted to build stress resilience and they don't have a really strong connection to their body, is this a first step, second step situation, or does, or does it all kind of come together? Um, so if you're coaching with me, the coaching process is anywhere from like four to six months. It's just like a little bit of a longer process Mm -hmm. and there is education. There's the why I'm a why person. Yeah. I don't, I love woo woo shit, Yeah, but I want to know the why. So we kind of why the shit out of our nervous system. Mm -hmm. And then we find tools that work for you because not every tool is going to work. You're going to be like, Ooh, that's really nice. Or that rings true. Like I hug myself, but guess what? People in larger bodies, guess what they can't do? Mm. Hug themselves. There's like, or people with large breasts, you, you, we we find yeah, you can't things. get the just oh that's so interesting the hug right. I got small little there's nothing in the way <laughs> but someone who's in a larger body yeah or yeah has bigger no no anyways um so so four to six months of coaching we we work to educate and create mm-hmm. you know long standing change the other thing that I I've paired along with a 
like award-winning career and leadership coach, my kind of my work wife, Ashley Trahan, <laughs> we have designed a program called Backbone. And it's a workshop. We've we've offered it in person and now we're offering it virtually and it's two hours. And it is what would be like a kind of quick snippet. We're going to go over the nervous system. We're going to go over the stress response. We're going to go over what the window of tolerance is. And then we're going to workshop together different mm. tools and the participants are going to build their own toolbox. Ooh, virtually. I like that. Okay. Yes. So that is May 13th, but we, we do it quarterly. So we run it. It's going to run quarterly, but our next okay. one is May 13th. Is it online? It's just something that people can it join is. by? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who would you say that that's for then? Is that like, like how does some... <laughs> How does someone know they have very low stress resilience? Okay. If you feel like you are on a treadmill and you can't get off the treadmill, like if you feel like you've been running or on like a hamster wheel and you feel like you are burnt out, if I say, do you feel like you're burnt out? And you're like, oh my God, I haven't stopped. Mm. This would be great for you. If you need to build up some tools in your workplace where you know I can't switch my job right now okay yeah, yeah. changing totally. my job is not an option and you need more space to exist Ooh. this is also a fantastic these tools the stuff that you're going to learn you're going to most likely walk away feeling like you have a little bit more space like we talked about at the beginning yeah. we've moved the needle just a little bit um so, okay. What I'm hearing is that this workshop is really for people who would probably say before meeting you and learning about all this, they would probably say that their, their life is too stressful or they have too much stress in their life and they need to get it down. But realistically, there aren't a lot of options or they can't get themselves to do those options or, you know, there's some block to doing that. So instead, they're probably just feeling really disempowered and stuck with like, I know I have to lower my stress. I can't lower my stress back and forth and back and forth. Mm -hmm. You're saying you don't actually have to reduce the stressors in your life to feel better. We can build a toolbox for you that allows you to handle that exact amount of stress mm -hmm. a bit better with mm -hmm. a bit more ease. That is awesome. That is a really actually under served market. Like there's mm -hmm. so much oh, about reducing we're, stress. We're but... finding that out. Yeah. We're finding that out. Oh, yeah. that's so cool. And then the other thought I had is when I work with folks in marginalized bodies and we move through the process of body neutrality on the other side of that, even if they're able to feel like much more accepting and neutrally toward their bodies, they, they have had to go through the process of recognizing all of the stressors that are facing them in their daily lives because they live in a marginalized body. A lot of times they have to like get angry at the systems of oppression that have caused them harm. They have to feel grief at the experiences they've had at those, you know, the hands of those systems of oppression. So really like that would be another population I would think would really benefit here would be folks who are unable to reduce their daily stressors because they live in marginalized bodies and there's just nothing in their control to drop that down, mm -hmm. but they still deserve to feel better. They still deserve to have ease and you 
could possibly help with that. Mm-hmm. Oh God, that's so needed. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I love can that. Can I, can I drop one tiny, I just wanted oh, to give one tool. Yes. This one's, this one's from Ashley and everything that we teach, we learned. It's not that we like created the course, wheel. Yeah. Okay. Um, but this one is so sustainable. It's so easy. All right. So we have receptors all over our body. They're on our skin. Okay. They're on our back. And when we kind of get amped or like receive a stressful email or even get excited, um, sometimes that can push us into like, Ooh, are we safe? You know, we kind of are floating up into a more like hyper aroused sort of like, you know, stressful stress response. The one of the most powerful, and I just love this tool so much is to simply take a look over your shoulder. So you just look behind you, you look up and down. You're like, okay, nothing's chasing me. Look, look brain, stupid brain. Nothing's (laughs) chasing me. And then you slowly take in everything um, to the side of you. And then you look forward. And then we're gonna do the other side. Okay, I didn't go slow enough. You look back, up and down. Look, look, brain. Nothing's chasing you. God, you're safe. I have read so much about the relationship between the eyes and the brain and anxiety and stuff, but I've never seen that particular tool. And I can absolutely understand why it would be why it would be effective. I love that. I actually worked with a guy once who he um it was back when I was in New York City. He told me that I could reduce anxiety by not watching my phone when I walked and just by looking up and looking around and letting my head swivel and letting my eyes swivel. And I was like, "You sir are an idiot who doesn't know anything about anything." <laughs> and I'm not doing that. And then years later I read the research on uh on those connections and how that like basically we were wired to look around. It's not that complicated. You know, it like makes us feel safe when our body's giving us the information of our environment. Mm -hmm. And I thought of that guy and I giggled to myself. Mm -hmm. I probably texted him to apologize. (laughs) I think we have something like the most amount of like afferent nerves in our ocular. Mm -hmm. Like there's just so many nerves in our, in our eye. Going to our brains, sending messages. We really, ah, so cool. Also, um, my brother, who's a trainer, he was talking to me recently about some research that it's like one of the reasons, there are so many reasons, but like walking in the woods basically feels so good Mm. to us, calms us so much. Um, And one of them is the connection with the ocular stuff and, you know, the brain and, and nervous system because we're wired to like, how do I put it? Like see, see perspective shifts as you like, basically your environment is supposed to change as you, as you walk, right? Like mm-hmm. this is what is going to feel good to us is we're watching our environment change mm-hmm. and we're paying attention to those changes. It's like the tree was here and then you walk and now the tree's here. That feels good. Mm-hmm. It's one of the reasons it feels good to watch the waves, to watch, mm-hmm. you know, anything like the clouds go by. It's like, we like seeing these changes in perspective because it it connects us to something so primal and calming whereas if you were to look at like your office wall all day mm-hmm. and the perspective stays the same you are never getting that benefit of what our brains really like and feel good in isn't that crazy so good that oh so, so good 
Okay. Well, um, anybody who was listening to this episode and did not understand what she just described, uh, you can find this on my YouTube channel and she's demonstrating and I did it and it actually felt pretty good. Um, and when would a person use that tool? When, when would you recommend it? I love to use it when I'm walking down the street. Mm-hmm. I live in Toronto. I live in a busy neighborhood. And sometimes I can just feel like I'm like, I get the hype of, of the drive of the city. Yeah. And I'm like, well, fuck, I'm just walking. Yeah. You know, like, ch- calm down. I will just look over my shoulder, look back, mm. look over my shoulder, look back and be like, ah, okay. Oof. And for me, I've come to know and to notice yeah. that drop. It feels like a, oh, it feels like after you yeah. give someone a hug and you release that, you know, you get that like, oh. And so that's kind of what I look for is like, have I, have I sort of readjusted the state yeah. that I was in? Ooh, I love that. Okay. So where can people find this workshop backbone? Ah, backbone.training.com or they can just come to my Instagram. I'm freedom trainer and the link is in the bio. Excellent. Is there anywhere else you want to send people if they're listening and want to learn more about you or the work you do? Uh, You can check my webpage out and me, if you're interested in coaching, if anything has rung Mm -hmm. true, I do have one spot. It's pretty specific on Tuesdays (laughs) coaching. So uh, it's AnnettePapa.com. Okay. Brilliant. Um, Anything else that we didn't cover that you wanted to talk about today? I'm super grateful for you. I'm super grateful for being able to kind of walk this journey alongside of you mm-hmm. unknowingly. I think that was the magic of today. Yeah, totally. That, wow. We've been journeying alongside each other. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't think I ever fully realized that. Like I knew a lot of uh, beats in your story and obviously I know them in mine, but I, I had never seen quite clearly quite so clearly how our different influences brought us through these same spaces. Mm -hmm. And I'm honestly, I'm like, so curious now, um, are there other systems driving similar beats, you know, like do, do people who are being impacted by other systems than diet culture or religion going through a similar journey because it's so shame-based and I could imagine other, uh, you know, forms of oppression and marginalization kind of being similar, but I, I have never thought about it this way before. So yeah, it's got me curious. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for being here. Um, listeners, you can find me at jessineeland.com or on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok at jessineeland. And, uh, The full video for all of my podcasts is on YouTube and that's it. So thank you for being here, Annette. Thank you for listening. If you're listening and everyone, I'll catch you next week. Bye.